0: Welcome to the Packet Pushers Priority Queue. And today we are coming to you from the Aruba Atmosphere 2016 conference. Aruba is best known as a wireless company and by no means one of the smallest. Just recently, we heard this morning that Aruba hit their long stated goal of a $1 billion run rate. And perhaps that set the stage for why HP Enterprise bought them. Oh, sorry, I should say Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And Aruba is now HP Enterprise company. So in case you missed that, just make sure that everything I say today, when I say the word Aruba, you should actually think Aruba, a Hewlett Packard Enterprise company. Now you may or may not know is that Aruba is actually the HP networking team. So when Hewlett Packard Enterprise acquired the business, they took the networking products and gave them to the Aruba team to merge them into a unified strategy. Now, part of that is what we're going to be talking about today. That is, it's no longer enough for you to connect things to your wireless network. It's not enough to connect things to your LAN. It's no longer just about getting things connected. That was what we did for the last 20 years of networking, and it was actually quite difficult. Getting things plugged in, getting things connected, that was hard. We've got that sorted out now. What we need to be doing is going into the network and turning it into a services factory. That is, it produces services to support other parts of the business. And the goal here is to support business productivity. And what we're talking about today is the digital workplace, and specifically how Aruba builds the foundation for the digital workplace. So joining us today is Ozar Dondemogulio. He's the product marketing lead from Aruba. Why don't you do that better justice than what I just said?
1: Sure, sure. Yes, I will. Um, Hello, folks. Uh, This is Ozar Dondemogulio. That's the proper (laughs) Turkish way of saying the (laughs) name. Glad to be here. Um, Just a quick round of introductions for Folks who haven't uh, found me on Twitter at Wi-Fi, I've been part of the Aruba team since 2004. It's been a wild ride. Started my career uh, in the lab trying to figure out what Wi-Fi is. I didn't know anything about it until I joined Aruba, although I was a computer networking engineer. I'm going to come back to that topic of how we were trained in the 90s as electrical engineers, computer networking engineers, and how we need to evolve. But uh, long story short, after spending a lot of time in the lab, found myself in front of customers trying to convince them to buy Wi-Fi. Yes, there was a point in time that people did not want to buy Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So well, that was very insecure.
0: That's right. It was uh, hard, but I mean, Wi-Fi, in the early days of Wi-Fi was really, we didn't have some of the tools and capabilities that we have today to make it easy to live in. Absolutely,
1: with. and the standard was relatively mm. new and it was not the greatest performing network. And mm. the, the fact that, you would connect a device and expect unpredictable rates was very uncommon among networking professionals. Like, what do you mean? So you want me to get away from my 100 meg wired connection that's always there guaranteed. You want me to connect to something called 11AG that may or may not give me 20 megs. Mm. Nah, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, That was yeah. usually the response. And it <laughs> the was a little th- unpredictable, too. Like the further away,
0: you know, we didn't put enough access points down and the antenna yeah. design wasn't optimal. And, yeah. you know, there were so many things that in those early yeah. days that it was.
1: Exactly. And then now we live in a day where I go into meetings and I do my usual product marketing spiel and I just try to energize the room. I ask them a series of questions. One of them is usually around how many of you guys connected to a wired port during last week? No hands. I just never see any hands anymore. Like, just never see them. Yes. Mm. Mm. And Wi-Fi, how many of you guys were on the Wi-Fi network during the last hour, and everybody raises their hands? So Mm. it changed, and that put us in a map where we stopped trying to convince people of selling Wi-Fi, and then Wi-Fi was demanded, Mm. like Mm. oxygen. So that was an interesting transformation. Glad to be part of the ride. So Um, it's
0: exactly, you know, Wi-Fi is now the wired, what wired was. We could trust much, wireless, yeah. you know, th- th- that point. And I think my point is is that we've gotten to this point where wireless is, is done in yeah. the sense that the basics of wireless, we can, edit, can connect reliably, but that's not what we need going forward. In the same way that wired networking isn't enough anymore, Absolutely. we need to take that connectivity and turn it into a service. So the digital workplace is your new strategy for taking the wireless network and turning it into something that's much more than just on prem yep. it's also about getting off the off out of the office mobile workforce wherever they might be it's also about working at hours that you want it to be so absolutely. let's let's lay out a vision for that digital workplace
1: yeah absolutely so i think the first thing that come to mind for us was there are always changes in the industry that impact networking industry's life right mm. so we have voice over IP phone come in and that drastically changes how we buy and purchase switching and how we look for budgeting. Then there's the idea of laptop extending the core to the Wi-Fi and then there's the idea of the iPad and there's a bunch of apps running on it and there's location-based technologies and all of this are not happening because IT networking teams ask for them. I mean there's no IT networking team going around and saying hey build me an iPad so that I can go and you know create lots of problems for myself. <laughs> Digital workplace has something like that. So when we looked at the analysis, there are a variety of numbers out there. One of them is from North America, and they basically said, you know, we studied the commercial real estate and interior design firms' proposals to vendors, mm. including people like people like us who are redesigning a new office. Mm. And if they were to put Wi-Fi and mobility collaborative environments as a option instead of having an option to build a cubicle farm with meeting rooms attached to it, let's say you build 20 cubicle farms that deserves one meeting room and Mm. three executive offices, that model never changed for a while. Now it's changing. So if you look at a company like Herman Miller Mm. or... um, Accenture. Accenture. They they were
0: on stage this morning talking about the fact that they don't give phones anymore. They don't have desk phones.
1: Yeah, exactly. So if you look at somebody proposing, hey, Mr. Repio of corporate real estate... Here's a proposal for you. It supports collaborative work environments. And this proposal for your ten thousand square feet of space, actually I can fit, you know, five hundred more people. All of a sudden your per square footage amount of dollars spent per employee Reduces from something like three hundred and fifty dollars to two hundred dollars
2: because you get more density, more bodies in there in that collaborative workspace rather than exactly. everybody getting a cubicle or exactly. An so or yeah. everybody thinks that, hey, look at these
1: cool offices. Wouldn't it be cool to work there? No, no, no. It's not driven by that. It's simply driven by VP of corporate real estate saying, "Yes, I would love to get a seventy percent cut in my real estate costs. Mm-hmm. How am I going to do that? Well, people need to be connected and working." So you need great Wi Fi environment and great collaborative app support, etc. <laughs> running
2: wires all over the right? place in this new environment. So yeah.
1: What happens is the printout, the blueprint for the real estate, VP of corporate real estate delivers to the IT guys and say, Can you please make this work? Mm. Problem, right? It's mm. out of their control. Yeah. yeah. So and the those IT teams come to us and say, Voice and video everywhere. I need location based technologies to find things. Everybody's on mobile. I need high density of devices in these open areas. I need great Wi-Fi performance every nook and cranny of the corner. And if you have you seen if you have seen an open workplace environment, you have seen these like quiet boots.
0: Yes, the the boots with the shield yeah. over the head and the yeah. And your- then
1: people trying to take a conference call in the middle of a kitchen, mm. with a coffee shop. We never had those requirements. Mm. The requirements started and ended with, I need to wire up meeting rooms. Offices and cubicles, mm. right? So those IT teams came to us and said, "Guys, we need a different approach. We can't, we can't keep up. We don't know what to do. Mm. We don't know where to plug the cables in because there's no, there's no way to plug the cables <laughs> <Yeah>. in. Where, <laughs> exactly. What do I do?" Yeah. And it's a, it's a problem driven by the real estate team, mm. but it's also an opportunity because the business is saving money and mm. people are collaborative and it's a cool place to work in and all these benefits. But then. There's a heavy lifting that IT needs to do, so that was really the crux of how this. Started. But the,
0: the flip side of this, of course, is that we've seen because we have Wi-Fi and we're not tethered to a desk, yeah. is that companies are now actually not giving people's desks. There's just desks available and free you turn seating. Up, free seating, yeah. free seating, or you know, best, hotelling yeah, hotelling of desks, yeah, which is becoming. But you wouldn't be able to do that before because your computer would have been at that desk and that desk would have been locked in.
1: Absolutely, and you yeah. know,
0: and that four square meters of space would have been reserved for your butt forever
1: forever you know and usually empty
0: usually yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah.
1: right now it's usually empty i mean intel it's a public study as we were studying this topic we found a public study that intel has done and they released it publicly Mm. and they said 60 percent of our cubicles are unused on an average at every single day globally Mm. right because people are
2: working either they're traveling or they're working from home yeah they're in the
1: meeting room they're traveling they're finding somewhere else to collaborate with other people.
2: In the canteen or yeah. in yeah. so
1: shared wall rooms. What <laughs> if I shed the cubicles and I still build the same amount of space for people to use, but I incorporate collaborative workspaces and that automatically removes the port and mm. that becomes, of course, a problem. Right? So
0: Let's talk about remote access, right? So a sure. lot of us have been using remote access technology. The idea is, is that you would go home, you would use a VPN client and you would connect in. And today we were talking about ClearPass, Yep. and particularly about multi-factor authentication. Absolutely. So there's two things in here. One is that the Aruba is now promoting this concept of mobile device access. So your smartphone is wherever you are. So if you're at the sports pitch on a six o'clock with your child Precisely. and there's a, yep. an email, you can still get access to that because your phone's able to do secure remote access. Yep. But the, the demo we saw this morning was around this multi-factor authentication. So instead of just relying on passwords... Maybe you can tell us some more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the idea was, we said the trust vector to a BYOD device is very small. Mm. Let's say even if you're using corporate device, usually being able to enter the corporate device and being able to access the network resources is a username password thing, mm. and username passwords are inherently can be quickly shared, quickly yeah. s- stolen.
2: We don't have a high degree of trust just because someone put in the username and exactly, password. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And then password refresh becomes a real pain in the neck, right? So you own let's say three devices and you have five different business applications that you log in with that username, password. You change the username password unless you have a very solid SSO implementation, which many of the companies out there don't, you have to change a lot of passwords at the back end, you need to remember Etc. So usually what we hear from our customers is they say, look, based on the health of a device I want you to challenge people with a very simple authentication so that I reach a point where they pick their password once, it never changes but I challenge them whenever I feel like I need to challenge them. So mm. their security upgrade with the act of a password change every six months mm. changes to Adaptive. If Cam ended up traveling international at some point and coming back to work, uh, maybe I have a rule that says, if after you know my employees visit the offices in remote locations, I would like to come back and I would like to have them another spot check. Mm. If Cam is using this device from a Starbucks location in Austin, ten- Austin Texas... I huh. might
0: do it every two hours.
1: Interesting, that... Mm. person is not in Austin, Texas. What's going on? So let me just do a fingerprint authentication that would be valid for a couple Mm. hours or Mm. 12 hours. Fingerprint auth is
2: in, you got a phone, it's got touch ID, you're going to pass that through the application and that's going to be part of your authentication. Exactly. Now we can increase the trust posture uh, from that uncomfortable and odd situation of being somewhere we've never seen them before. Exactly. But they logged
0: in with the password earlier in the day, Hmm. so you're on that same device, so your actual... So it's
2: context, contextually aware.
1: Absolutely, contextually aware. And again,
2: this is all ClearPass is the Aruba app that makes this happen. It's the thing that looks at the device and decides what that device is. Oh, yeah. it's it's an iPhone, it's got these uh, characteristics. Absolutely. And, uh, and then you know identifies Absolutely. a user that is using yeah. that device. Yeah.
1: I mean, this also brings back, back to, you know, mentioned at the beginning, I usually go in and ask a crowd of people when I'm presenting. Um, one of those questions is, you know i ask people how many of you updated your os or some app downloaded or on your mobile devices during last month all the hands hands go up and i say how many of you guys got a permission from it before you did those yeah. no hands go up exactly so i said that's kind of a cybersecurity nightmare right here
0: right well it, so. by the old standards that would have been a cybersecurity yeah but you know exactly in today it's less of a problem because you know, things are different.
1: Yeah, so in that type of an environment, you can you can't basically say the health of a the security posture of a device is the same as before, because that was the assumption in the desktop PC days. It's not the same as before because during that time they might have upgraded to iOS nine dot
2: whatever with mm. with some. Some great, wonderful new bug that's been introduced or a security flaw. Or Or they
1: decided to download a Bluetooth sharing app to their Android phone and off you go.
0: Well, it's it's not just smartphones, too. It's like, you know, Windows 10 is moving to a, what, six weekly, four weekly update Mm -hmm. cycle? And they're killing patches on a, you can't wait. (laughs) <laughs> you know, for six weeks to go through a test cycle and load, you know, and then use IDS. Absolutely. Signatures.
1: absolutely. That's actually a very good point. You know, it's not absolutely. just smartphones,
0: it's Windows 10, yeah. it's Apple Mac. Uh, yeah. If you're using Mac OS X, then yeah. Apple's pushing updates to Mac. You can't prevent them yeah. from happening. And, you know, again, it
1: comes back to the problem statement for the networking folks, right? Mm. That's our primary audience. Right? Again, in this type of an environment, the multi factor authentication, the security posture, the corporate policy around where people can go and how Mm -hmm. much they can access data, where and when, those decisions are not made by networking teams. Yeah. But networking teams are being asked to support it. Right? So, a cybersecurity team goes, I would like you to, I just bought this MFA license (laughs) from some company, multi-factor authentication. We have a three-year subscription. I would like to make sure that these devices, when they connect to wired Wi-Fi, MFA is integrated. Mm. And networking guys go, what?
0: Yeah.
1: My, my APs don't understand MFA. Oh, what do you want me? Like,
0: <laughs> how does I, that work?
1: Yeah, yeah, how does that work? I just authenticate dot one xi I'm on the network. That's, that's all we have, right? So ClearPath sits in the middle and acts like the translator between, I have the security systems. PagerDuty, Palo Alto, uh, Mobile Iron, uh, MFA from people like Duo and Casada. And we translate what those policies are, that contextual policies, and we speak to the networking language on the other end.
0: Mm.
1: We speak to Wi Fi users, yeah. we speak to the Wi Fi devices, the wired ports, so that we act like a translator. And the good news is ClearPass platform, in order for you to take advantage of this translation, mm-hmm. the power of this translation, you don't have to upgrade your networking to Aruba. You can start today. Mm. and There's a main reason for that, because we assume that if we were to go to a customer and networking team and say, guys, for your mobile users who may show up anywhere in the world... I would like you to upgrade every single piece of networking gear everywhere in the world, (laughs) and then we can start supporting MFA. And they will go, wait a second, it only takes 12 hours for my CEO to go to another place around the, you know, in China. You're telling me that only in 12 months I will be able to support him for MFA while he's traveling? Mm -hmm. We can't do that. So Mm. people moving becomes an extra challenge. So we keep ClearPass as a multi vendor platform. So the infrastructure is independent for this translation.
0: But you can also use it for wired, wireless so once you're into the you Plus ecosystem, you can then so using it as a remote access. It's Ipsec, it's SSL VPN, it's all the things that you're supposed to have for remote VPN capability for the clients and you've got all of the the stuff. But then you can start to use the same MFA on your LANs. That's so right. You could use it in the head office, you can use it in the branch, mm-hmm. and you can take it end-to-end and stuff like that. Now, yeah. the other thing that I learned as part of preparing for today's show is that ClearPass is now integrating with third parties. Absolutely, yep. Yeah. So that capability to use a Palo Alto firewall and to say that you're passing the traffic through a Palo Alto firewall, its syslog engine is producing you know logs about what data is yep. traffic through it. And, of course, those devices, those third parties have... You the Palo Alto, you can go and pay for a cloud subscription to a malware scanning engine, and all of a sudden you can see that there's something going on there. Absolutely. And you're now feeding that data into ClearPass, mm-hmm. and then by extension into MFA to suddenly say, hang on, although that's so-and-so, and they're in, they're actually getting, I'm seeing malware signatures coming up from the Palo.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that has been a great, powerful thing for us, because... ClearPass is this thing sitting in the middle between networking folks and the cybersecurity folks. Sometimes this side talks French, the other side talks Chinese, mm. <laughs> and we kind of act like the <laughs> the guy in the middle. And then what we figured out is we have to work with the outside third-party vendors. So there's a RESTful API that's open. Libraries mm. can be downloaded from our website, and there's a community around it. You can write your own kind of interactions with ClearPass. Uh, we also listen to common messages, you know, mm. if you want to send us a syslog um, and want us to take an action, you customize that action and mm. you do that. We have seen that the security teams being very focused on best of breed. So if they find a security solution that is that can be new, that can be very early age, they really don't care. They just care about the posture of that detection. So mm. uh, we're keeping that relatively open ecosystem at the moment.
2: Now, ClearPass sounds like a really capable product, which usually implies to me it's going to be a really complex product. And it's like, oh gosh, I'm going to have to bring this thing in. It'll do Mm -hmm. all this stuff where I'm going to have to spend all this time to learn it. And yet from the platform this morning, it was said, ClearPass is stupid simple. I think that's a direct quote from one (laughs) of your customers. So what are they getting at?
1: Yeah, so for somebody who has worked on um, authentication systems, which many of the networking gurus have done, You know, back in the day, Juniper SBRs and Cisco ACS uh, and and Microsoft. I survived Cisco uh, ACS. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So um, Hmm. they look at the ClearPass workflow and they say, okay, this is twice or three times as simpler. Mm-hmm. You know, creating a contextual policy around where the user is, where the device and et cetera. And the other reason I think goes into the simplicity of it is scale. So I think, you know, one of our customers on the stage, relatively running a big network, multi-site, multi-city, and their network of course gets hit by multiple devices all the time. The problem with mobile devices is the policy, as I said, you know, your CEO, your staff moves around you can't just say, oh, I created that configuration in the Phoenix server, but I cannot I don't have that configuration in New York server. You can't say that. Like they could be traveling back and forth. So ClearPass comes with the clustering technology automatically. It scales really well actually from a device authentication perspective. Compared to traditional AAA servers like Microsoft IAS, there's ten to twelve faster speed up you know processing for mobile devices, just optimized for mobile authentication. So if you build a system that is that can scale easily, right? You can say guys I configured my first server. I need to deploy another 20 servers. You basically say, yeah, just plug them in, it's clustering, it, they download it from the master mm-hmm. Clearpass server. That builds simplicity. Right? They go, okay, I need to bring up a new office, new city. All I have to do is just download the VM image for Clearpass from my account. Install it to a server, show them where the master is, and I'm done. Mm. And so that adds to the simplicity of it. Mm. The configuration workflows are relatively. We we can do better, Mm. like UI wise. I think we can do better. But um, variety of you know, I think there's still need for some good level of uh, professional level training, which we offer for ClearPass. Uh, but after that it's 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 really cool and does does wonders for a lot of people authentication needs and security needs
0: i think the thing that appeals to me is that the clearpass is both the vpn head end as mm. well as the wired wireless oh i
1: should i should yep. actually clarify yep. that the the so the um clearpass platform is out of band right it's always out of band mm. and it talks to the existing vpn systems okay, firewall right. systems yeah and wired on wireless infrastructure, whatever that might be, mm. and then we tell them to take action. You know, change the role, put this user in the quarantine, etc. But um, the the actual product itself is it doesn't do VPN con- concentration, okay, right. yeah. But it does dot one X authentication and and guest access authentication, etc. Yeah.
0: yeah, as a captive portals. Yep. Absolutely. It's actually quite sophisticated captive portals too.
1: Yeah, so uh, it was interesting because ClearPass is a a joint product of, we acquired a company called Avenda System in Mm. um, 2011, I believe. And then in 2009, we had acquired a company called Amigapod. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's a Spanish-Australian joint venture. You saw one of the founders of Amigapod on stage today, Cam Asdale. Mm -hmm. The entire story on Amigapod was radically simplify how you can Onboard mobile devices to guest Wi Fi networks. Purpose designs, integration with third party payment systems customizable options for people to select. When you look at it on your smartphone, it actually looks good. It doesn't look like, you know, uh, Scribble. So <laughs>
0: Hand-created hand by a 17-year-old using I, a yeah. notepad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've yeah, seen that yeah, a few exactly, yeah. yeah, I
1: wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> so we took those two companies that were both running on very large-scale uh, Cisco networks, actually, because mm. they, that was the biggest market to, for them to attack, and we bring them in ClearPass. So the DNA... Of usability from an end user perspective, these powerful workflows with, you know, multi-factor authentication, you know, sponsor-based guest access, BYOD onboarding—they mm-hmm. all come from the AmigaPod days, actually. So that—that's been a blessing in disguise. Uh, if it wasn't for that initial work done by the AmigaPod team back back in the day, the, a lot of the things that we do today would not have been possible.
2: So let's get into some digital workplace uh, scenarios. I can use cases if you want to describe them that way. Uh, One is this. I work from home. I got a home office and I need to connect into corporate headquarters. Do I have some piece of Aruba gear in my house, like a Soho Wi-Fi access point or something?
1: Yeah, a couple of options there. So if it's just one device, mobile, and you don't mind VPNing in, right, using the Aruba via VPN or any of your VPN software choice, then you can just tunnel back. But usually, of course, people don't have just one device, right? So there's an iPad, there's an iPhone, there's a laptop. Maybe there's a voiceover IP phone if you're an executive or if you're in healthcare or financial industries where you need some sort of business continuity in, term, in, in case of their emergencies and you need to stay home. Mm-hmm. So there's usually a wired, and if you bring the office home, there's usually a wired printer that you want to print out. Some people still use printers. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So
0: Some people I I
1: can't use printers anymore. I keep signing things on on my iPad and the Mm -hmm. iPhone. So during that scenario, having to use VPN on on many of those devices that need corporate access is kind of a pain. Yeah, started, started, ended. So we came up with this concept of Aruba remote access point. So literally, I can take one of the access points in the ceiling right here in this cosmopolitan hotel. I can go to my AirWave network management platform, and I can say, this AP is no longer a campus access point, it's actually a remote access point tied to Ozer's name, account, Mm -hmm. under ClearPass. I take that over, I bring it home, AP boots up and says, oh, I'm actually a remote access point, let me check in with my cloud-based activation service, which is free for all our customers to use, it's called Urban Activate. Aruba Activate is like our inventory management system, and it mm-hmm. becomes a inventory management system for our customers too. It's multi-tenant, and it basically says, "Oh, I'm no longer a campus AP; I'm a remote AP." Downloads its configuration from AirWave, connects back to the corporate, and I'm up and running. Connecting, a,
2: connecting back to corporate, it's standing up a tunnel to a controller.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Stands up a tunnel, but then it doesn't send unnecessary stuff through that tunnel because we don't want to waste my bandwidth. We only send corporate-level traffic.
2: And you split tunnel the rest, everything else is headed uh, out. Exactly, exactly.
1: In that case, you have this extension of the corporate VLANs, literally your IP subnets, back to the house. The effect of voice over IP phone plugging in is like as if you plugged it in the office. Because usually what happens is you have to route. There's this local area network in your home, and there's WAN network, and then there's the corporate office network. And then unless you have a router at home, you can't really figure out how to tie that together, so, so, so tunneling so helps there.
2: You, you mentioned changing that access point's role from being a corporate access point, if you will, to a remote access point, but it kind of sounds like they're doing the same thing to me. Is, what is the distinction again?
1: Yeah, their distinction is one of them needs to set up a VPN, IPSec VPN tunnel back to a DMZ where your controller uh, can sit. Okay, mm-hmm. so, so that you there. have
2: a special controller you've, you've put exactly. in the architecture. Yes. Okay, rather than yes. punching it through a firewall. That's to what a, I was alluding to before, uh, is yes. that
0: feature, yeah. Not yes. when, when I was talking about VPNs. Yes, was, yeah.
1: that actually tunnels back to a specific controller in the DMZ, and that's where the kind of configuration gets updated for the remote AP. And the good news is, let's say that we like to collaborate, and Ethan and Greg are working for the same... A corporation and you're in uh, with a remote AP, and you guys need to collaborate. Great, you know. Um, mm. Ethan shows up in your house, and then he already has access before you know it because mm. it's the same exact society that you have at home.
2: You mm. just associate up to the remote you AP, you go. exactly. Yeah. And so nobody else. you've got you've enabled a
0: roaming workforce at this point, exactly. So, you know, if, if yes. you're if you've got an office in St. Louis and you suddenly rock up to the office in New York, the, the clear pass then decides whether you're allowed to be in New York, obviously. There's Absolutely. That, you, know, Absolutely a, some, yes. you can still check that stuff out but theoretically I could connect to the office in New York just as if I'm in and away I'll go
2: so, actually that's the, so where do I enforce policy here so do all of my access nah, points tunnel back to a controller
1: good point so the access point software and the controller software go hand in hand they share a lot of the functions so when an access point becomes a remote AP it actually starts acting like a controller a little bit in terms of enforcing policies so, the, if there's a policy that says, you know, Greg cannot watch YouTube videos between 9 a.m. and 12 p.m., wherever he is in the world, it still gets enforced on the AP mm. if you're a remote AP. If you're in the campus, it gets it can be enforced on the AP, but it usually gets enforced in the controller because that's how you the don't have latency that, concerns
2: there. You don't know, have really you know, bandwidth concerns. You can control it centrally, as opposed to if it's remote, you want that enforcement. You need that enforcement to happen at the edge, at the AP, yeah, yeah at that edge. Yeah.
1: Prioritization is important over the air, and but that and would be downloaded like at the time. That wouldn't be yeah. in every access
0: point. It that will would be, be
1: downloaded at the time, and so the good news authenticate-
0: is. The controller would say, oh, well, that policy needs to be pushed. Yeah.
1: The <laughs> firewall policies essentially gets pushed automatically as soon as you show up. You shut down your laptop mm. and you move out and that policy moves away. Mm-hmm. You mm. unplug that AP, mm-hmm. there's no configuration left on that access point. It's all in real time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: kind of takes place. It's actually really cool technology. The The number one application was business continuity and the other was uh, temporary workplaces. Um, many of these APs have a USB plug at the back, so... If you're a temporary worksite and you don't have access to Wi-Fi or uh, wired internet connection, you just hook up your 4G LTE, dongle, 4G dongle. and then all of a sudden your corporate access shows up there.
2: So, so here's another scenario. So that we just talked about like a home home office scenario, sure, something like that that's got this remote access point potentially as one of your options. What about uh, when I'm on the road, I've got a laptop and I've got a phone, I'm working from a Starbucks, uh, Mm -hmm. and we talked about authenticating that way from a phone and uh, maybe doing some fancy authentication if for the the device ID and location, kind of, oh, I want to do extra, let me add a fingerprint. So do I have to authenticate all over again from my laptop, or is there some way my phone authentication helps me get access from my other devices?
1: Yeah, so right now it actually doesn't. We actually started thinking about how, if you're in a public hotspot, you're not part of a remote AP or branch office or corporate office, what if one of my devices is already logged in back to the network using VPN, how can they share? So right now, we were actually, interesting enough, we were just talking about this yesterday, it would be really cool to, you know how the Apple devices share content. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I forgot the name it's of the
2: feature. Airdrop and... Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Automatically, your devices become authenticated. But we haven't done anything in that space. I think you need to touch the device. But as soon as you enter the corporate environment, mm. then that's where we start taking taking over from well, the... Well, Apple's
0: taking that to extremes because Apple's got a certificate in every device. Yeah. And then you sign up to iCloud and then the crypto certificates gets cross-signed. Yeah. And so when you're... Et-, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. you can say, people in my country... They've taken the software integration to an extreme, right?
1: (laughs) So, um, I mean, to be honest with you, in terms of the digital workplace evolution, I feel like the experiences where we have at home Mm. are slowly translating into workplace. And here's what I mean by that, you know, the The adoption of the workplace is one thing. I think it's driven by real estate. The adoption of these security policies is driven by cybersecurity teams. Adoption of teleworker initiatives for remote home office are driven by business continuity teams, emergency response teams, et cetera, being able to connect everybody so that they can keep the business moving, right? Traders trading and doctors providing care. But there's the user perspective too. And I think we talked about this today in the keynote briefly, where the user expectation is, it's always there, you know. I need to remove the friction from user experience. So, a lot of the things that we do with ClearPass, with AirWave, for predictive troubleshooting, they're very insight-focused, right? I, I gather lots of data, I compute some context, I push it to the network and make the network smarter. That's awesome. Mm. But then, if you do that without caring about what the users are seeing, if if it takes ten steps for users to go through. Authenticating to the network, or 10 steps for them to figure out how to use Skype for Business or FaceTime. And if the user experience is not there, then many of these technologies actually fail. Mm. And we had been around here for a long time where we satisfied all the possible technology requirements and we failed to implement projects in the past simply because both IT teams, the customer teams, and us realized that, okay, the users are not ready. Yeah. One example of that is voice over IP phones. Right? Well, server IP phones are very easy to use. There are buttons on them, you press them, and you pick up the phone. People, well, the, the
0: easy features are easy to use. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the easy yeah, features exactly. are easy. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. Exactly. But How many you, people can go to a conference call on an IP phone? Yeah. You know, hash four, nine hash. You, know, you, you know, get a hammer out, you eight. hit it a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if you, it's, once you get used to that
1: aspect... All of a sudden that voice voiceover IP phone goes and you put an app on somebody's phone and you go, okay, use that application. So if people are used to using Skype or FaceTime outside of their work, they would like the same level of stability, usability that they have from a WhatsApp phone mm-hmm. calling app from a, let's say, a Sky for Business app. Yep. If there's a disconnect, the project fails. Mm. And you go, okay. Well, I already unplugged the phones. What mm-hmm. am I going to do? Yeah. So we actually went through this process. We had to roll out two months worth of uh, Skype for Business end-user training sessions, like literally teaching people how to use the app. Yeah. Because they, the workflow for work was relatively different from the workflow for the social app, and then we had to grab that bell. But now, looking at the current version of Skype for Business app is actually... Tremendously much better looking mm. compared to three or four years ago. It works. It's reliable. It has a very oh, social yeah, looking three three
0: Microsoft Link was. It was dreadful. It <laughs> was kind of hard to navigate as well. Yeah, you know, it was. Un, it was. Uh, un, 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 yeah, it wasn't intuitive, and it would yeah, crash. so and, yeah,
1: the user experience, was the, you know, the fingerprinting, mm. authenticating to the network through a fingerprint, like the experience mm. that we showed, it was possible. I, you know, it was possible a long time ago. It just never was possible on. A form factor like this, mm. you have to get the widget and hook it up to your laptop, and the laptop does a magical call to some server, and then you press the button.
0: And you have to load it with a crypto Which key. Which user is and... going to do that? Mm, Nobody's right.
1: going to do that. So, But if you can make it a simple workflow on a smartphone, oh yeah, people won't mind. You the, know, it keeps them secure. I think that's
0: the thing about multi-factor authentication, just to jump back to where we were a while ago, is things are different now. Everybody's got a smartphone, and you can use a smartphone instead of a token. Yep you know and then all of a sudden that you've got an app on a smartphone well and if the smartphone is a certain model then it's actually got security built into it Except when the FBI wants to undo that, you know. (laughs) But you know, whatever. I think that you know we are looking now at some just some totally different ways, and this idea of remote working is actually possible for the first time. Mm -hmm. Or this contextual working—you can work anywhere at any time. Whereas before, you had to go into the office once a month to get your Windows updates or your virus scanning or your, you know, the. And I
1: usually call. I started calling some of the as part of this effort. I started calling our effort as Aruba to what's our goal? You know, some, a goal that I can explain to anybody who would understand. I said, look, if there's a friction between the IT teams, especially IT networking teams, and the rest of the business units, real estate people, collaboration, security, remote access folks, if there's a friction, I'm going to build you a technology that removes that friction for your users. Right? Good segue so.
0: to Airwave. When you connect to the Wi-Fi, if you suddenly can't do a DNS lookup, it's the Wi-Fi that's at fault. Right. So, you, you talked about in the demo this morning yeah. about building an analytics platform and then using the access point to capture the packet flows that go through the access point. And then, if it's a DNS fault, flagging that to the networking team yeah. so they don't blame the Wi Fi. That's an exactly an example of that, isn't it? Yes,
1: yes, exactly. Right. So, the usually the call comes in Wi Fi slow, uh, Wi Fi did not work. When was that? Oh, two days ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. Kind of, and then you go back to Airwave and you will do. A slew of tests. We store lots of data. That's great. We try to package it up as pretty as possible in reports. That's awesome. Mm. But that's after the fact. Yes. That's after the fact. That all you the know, damage started, has been done in the customer damage mind. Damage has been done. Yeah, you know, the user uh, says it. wi didn't work. Security yeah. will probably tell you similar stories. But we usually used to get these calls from customers. Lots of network issues. Sometimes it was the Wi-Fi end-user device. Mm. Sometimes it was the radio server going slow because all of a sudden it's after Christmas. There's twice as many mobile devices connected to the network, mm. but the radio server was designed for the era where there was only 50 desktop PCs in the world. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, okay, you have 1,000 mobile devices connected to the network every two seconds versus you know 50 desktop PCs connected to the network every minute.
0: Or it's of the course, hours.
1: your radio <laughs> server is going to be slow. Or it's the internet <laughs> right?
0: connections not big enough. Yes. Or it could be the web server they're connecting to. Exactly. You know, they could be accessing. It's not the Wi-Fi network necessarily, that yeah. last mile that's yeah. necessarily slow. Exactly. It I could, mean, you know, could also be the WLAN controllers overloaded or any one of a number of things, but you don't know
1: yeah. which I mean, one it can be. We go to Enterprise and and we say, guys, how about I give you a report every Monday morning? You're a distrib- let's say, a distributed organization, 50 different sites, offices, people coming in and out, a couple of centralized teams around the world, What if I give you one platform, guys, that you can run every morning at 5 a.m.? It runs and tests your page loads for a specific website on all those locations, DNS servers, radio servers, DHCP servers, and gives you one simple report of all the failed. You're testing Mm -hmm. CNN. How long does it take to load CNN.com from... 50 different sites. What if I give rank and stank all sites who can load CNN.com faster to slower? Mm. And people go, wait a second. Then they see the reality because that means that they don't have to go after the fact troubleshooting across 50 different sites. They can actually just get an email that says two sites are experiencing slow web page loads over Wi-Fi networks, FYI. Mm-hmm. At Monday six AM, and it's like game changer for a lot of the IT so operations. So if the call team. comes
0: in at ten o'clock, you can validate it was a problem before the day started. Yeah, and it's and st- still a problem at ten. And, and again, no it's whatever. transactional. Is the, yep.
2: is the big piece here that's it's which we're all familiar with? Transactional processing. You get a breakdown of all the components of that transaction, so you can zero in on what the problem was. Was it a Wi-Fi problem, a spectrum problem, or was it the DNS lookup was slow and it's a DNS server problem? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or was it CNN not responding fast enough or and
1: the and the other thing is you know I compared to this analogy cars now come with capabilities a lot more capabilities now we're in the self self-driving cars and mm. automatic brakes and everything else but i think something that everybody feels comfortable with common is you have either a camera enabled backup option or there's some sort of beeping sound as you get in that prevents you from crashing what we realized is if we do not give any predictive alerts to our IT operations people, we're just making it easier for them to crash and burn. Mm. Okay, So we said, what can we do? Well, we know when IT guys crash and burn when it comes to DNS being slow. Like if DNS is slower than 300 milliseconds, mm. we know that problems happen.
0: Or so, DHCP takes more than a second to respond. There's exactly. a whole bunch of things here, right? Exactly. Not just, yeah.
1: So why don't we just set up threshold and alerts? Do these tests, Mm -hmm. collect the data. And if there's a trend we're seeing, DNS servers slowing down or these synthetic tests that we're running on the network is performing, getting closer to that limit Mm -hmm. of 300 milliseconds where things start getting pressure burn. Mm -hmm. What if there's a threshold that says, if it hits 200 milliseconds for a period of 12 hours, guys, we have a problem, you need to go and fix because the other 10 DNS servers that you have they're operating at 50 milliseconds. Mm. This guy over here four times slower. You need to go and check. There's something there. Still there's no problem. Nobody's complaining. Everybody's connected. Everybody's mm. downloading stuff. But you're predictively allocating some of these back. Let's talk back mechanics. Office.
0: How would I do that? Is that going and do I use my existing APs to run those synthetic tests or do I need another device?
1: Yeah, so the Clarity feature set, this predictive analysis of LAN, WAN, DHCP, DNS, radius, mm. web page tests run on the Aruba Wi-Fi gear. Right. So Aruba Wi-Fi gear runs and schedules and automates tests. That's a piece uh, of software
0: that runs on your access point. Exactly. Right. So it's a controller and the or an access point. The Airwave controller goes out and says, run this test yes. for me at this time and then send me back the results when you're done. So yes. your APs are intelligent enough to do it locally, but there's a central controller in the middle.
1: Yes, exactly. So the Airwave essentially schedules it. That's what the user interface sees. There's nothing that you do on the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Airwave is what the network operations teams are used to using. So we build the UI there. And then we tell the network what to do. The data from the network comes either through APs testing each other, Mm -hmm. through scheduled tests, or devices just going about their business and connecting to the network. Because Mm -hmm. during those transactions, we collect DHCP, DNS, web page loads, etc. We just collect that information, we send it to Airwave, and we say, do something with this.
0: So at this point, and this is what I I tweeted about, this, you're actually using the access points as a DPI inspection device.
1: Yeah, we're gathering the data,
0: yes. Gathering the data, you're actually looking at the flows, collecting metrics, and then shunting it up to Airwave. That, to me, and I know we haven't talked about SDN here at all, but that's actually <laughs> SDN to me, right? You're actually using a centralized controller to send configuration commands out Absolutely, to intelligent yep. edge yep. devices. Very good point. The work is being done right at the edge of the network, right? And then the data comes back to the controller yep. for analytics, telemetry, and analysis. That is, right now, that is my operating definition of software-defined network.
1: Yeah. I would. I would. That's exactly the way way it operates. And there's a reason that we don't necessarily do the computing at the edge because that's just one AP. You know, Mm -hmm. in order to measure the performance of a DNS server or a group Mm -hmm. of DNS servers, I need to compute information from 200 APs. Yes, because that's the entire coverage pattern. And you can't
0: ask one AP to do that computation. Exactly. And it doesn't even make sense because an AP can't store. Right. You know terabytes of data, yeah, and, and that's we, what you need to do to do you deal. know
1: one client ten different clients on the same AP can be talking to three different radio servers and three mm. different DHCP and five different cloud-based services for page loads, mm. so it's we have to gather all that data in a central place, and airwave ended up being the place.
0: So the other big thing that we saw in the presentation this morning was Internet of Things yes, Internet of things, and <laughs> you know you we, we can slag off IOT all we like.
2: No, oh, you took my segue. That's where I was going. But we asked <laughs> that question. I want to have the conversation. Okay, so here, here's right, my right, thing. All right, all right. IoT for maybe two years or so has been this annoying topic that comes. I was like, oh yeah, IoT or right. IoE, whatever acronym you want to assign to it. It's not a thing. It, every, hmm. they're, they're trying to make it into a thing. It's not really a thing. But actually, I'm at a point now where I was like, okay, people are starting to come up with actual Mm -hmm. use cases about it and other things where it makes sense. And, uh, and Ozer, one question I wanted to ask you about this, you you mentioned this early on uh, when we started recording, uh, greenfield buildings, where you were talking about the open uh, collaborative workspaces and so on, and it it seems like uh, greenfield buildings are seeing IoT in the form of environmentals, heat and lighting controls, and these sorts of things. Is that kind of normal if I'm building something uh, new?
1: they're essentially saying... If we're starting from scratch and we're going to connect this building to things, again, out of our control, out of IT or network, out of networking teams control, somebody decides, hey, it would be great if we can save some money or measure our utilization for some of our core real estate services through the use of IoT. Or maybe we can make things more secure through use of digital locks. And then maybe we can automate some workflows like meeting room booking with digital signage, notify people. What if I have these connected things measured, you know, deployed from a sensor. So people start imagining,
2: right? And you, you, and you really are getting those questions from customers. The People are yeah. coming to Aruba yes. and saying, I have these
1: yes. questions or interests. Absolutely. Okay. So one use case, for example, is secure entry. People don't trust badges anymore because you can hand over badges to somebody and you can enter and out buildings anytime. So that doesn't work. What do you do? Well, this stores a lot of information. What if I had my mobile phone, smartphone, authenticate with a connected thing to entry into the network, similar to how we do with, you know, how we do Mm -hmm. network access today with Mm -hmm. fingerprint. What if I can fingerprint access to my hotel room or my hospital room or my office room that shows that, hey, somebody was there and it was me, no alarms, etc. Similar experience that we see today in smart homes. I can lock my door as I'm driving away from my home in case I forgot. Before I get there, I see that somebody is in my home, the sensor comes on, I can start a video camera recording Mm -hmm. and send it to the police officers. You can still do stuff like that in smart homes. So people use that stuff in the smart homes. The executive, the real estate executive, the IT executive, who use that technology at their homes, they bring it to work and say, I want that implemented at home. Same thing that happened to iPad with BYOD. Same thing that happened to Wi-Fi, which basically people (laughs) use this cool stuff and they say, why don't we just do that in our office? Yeah. The, the cool yeah. stuff's not ready for the office, though. I mean, uh, exactly. the Internet of Things, the, <laughs> the security the things? you can conquer a
2: planet with because the holes yeah. are so
1: big. So big.
2: <laughs> uh, so how do we deal with this?
1: Exactly. So just like with BYOD, just like with Wi-Fi, people demand it. People want it. Businesses want to spend dollars on it. And they turn it over to networking people and say, deal with it. Deploy it everywhere. Manage it, operate it, I don't care, I want to use this thing. Okay, awesome, let's connect these things. Our first prescription is what we demo today. You have to understand what these devices are. Classify them. So mm-hmm. if it's a new device, Nest comes up with a new IoT thing, nobody knows what it does. You can go to ClearPass and say, hey, my IT teams bought these 100 Nest devices and they want to connect them to the network and go ahead. Right? Mm-hmm. It gives it to the IT networking people. And the networking teams need to go to the ClearPass and say, "Let's profile this device. Let's see how it interacts with the cloud-based service. Let's see how it interacts with DHCP, DNS, and let's create a custom profile match, just like we did during the demo. And we create that after the devices are plugged in. We detect that there's an unknown device on the wired ports, secured wired ports, and then you can classify them to something uh, that they're supposed to be. Right? You call them Nest." Mm. They're for thermostats, they're allowed to only access these web services and nothing else.
2: The first time it's unknown and right. now you've profiled it. The second and the third and the fifth one yeah. you plug in. Mm. Now they're known. Now they're and known. You've got a profile that you've created, you apply to these things yes. that can do whatever they can do. Exactly. So
1: the question is, these devices are relatively dumb. They run commercial grade software. They run on cheap hardware. That they do not have any type of encryption key or certificates on them or anything, mm. right? They're perfectly breakable and they're being broken. You must have seen yep. the news, they're but being if broken. You've got all a security
0: time. policy on the Ethernet port that it connects to exactly. on a switch yeah. exactly that says the Nest can only talk to the Nest web server, yeah. Well, then you can't. You know, Greg sitting in the corner over there, doing an end, <laughs> end point, you know, yeah. doing a scan of the entire network, looking that's, for some. That's you know. exactly you can't right. access the I completely can't unsecured
2: the API that's sitting on the thing and yes. cause it to do something uh, exactly. that you wish it could well, do. Yeah. So. it wouldn't
0: just necessarily be wired. The same applies to the wireless LAN infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, you know, and the rest of that will iterate out over time. Yeah. You know, I
1: mean, just like you cannot prevent from rain pouring down, mm-hmm. you cannot avoid IoT at this point. You just have to build
2: a solid home. It's that years before
0: it. IoT is going to exactly. reach your level of... So, so,
2: so, so in effect, the answer is, you treat it like you treat any other endpoint that shows up on the device. You identify it, you figure out what the thing is, you assign a profile to it, and off you go. And you do that whether it's a user with something that you do know and, and tr- trust in whatever yep. uh, amount you do, or you just happen to trust this device a whole lot less.
1: Exactly. Now the question is, what if I were to give you one platform, not two, one, ClearPass that does that policy for unknown devices on Wi-Fi, which many of the IoT devices, sometimes they're on Wi-Fi too, and on Wired, and it's one team, one operating system, one management platform that says, I have my IoT policies, BYD policies, corporate policies, radio server, guest access policies in one Mm. setup. And that makes network teams and the security team's job super, super easy. So
0: I want to jump topics here, Wired. So I had a presentation yesterday about the 3810S switch. Yes. Right? which is now called Aruba OS. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the HPE integration. And that is yes. that the ProCurve switches, which used to run what we call ProVision, we know those. A lot of us have been putting those switches into our campus lands for quite a long time because they're exactly perfect for that use case. But that product is now your switch, like yes. the Aruba switch. That's yes. it.
1: Yes, so the idea here was we had to make a choice for the benefit of our customer, right? Mm. So I, I I mean, I can tell you now that it's not easy to take two product lines and say, guys, we need to move past one of these product lines and move it to something new. Mm. But that was the right thing to do. It's a tough decision, but we said, let's cut the cord on one of the product lines and move the relevant features that are useful and integrated with the newer software. The good news was 3810 platforms and its family of product lines, Aruba switching product lines, they were programmable out of the box. Mm. They were already designed to support things like STN, mm. which means that their CPU, memory, fast path programmability features were already there. We had those functions for our existing switches interaction with ClearPass, Mm. interaction with AirWave, interaction with Activate for zero-touch provisioning, secured wired ports, role-based access control. We already had those features. The porting of those features to the new platforms was not that hard. And the good news was HPE customer install base was far greater compared to Aruba's install base. So we couldn't have made the... Other, you know, we couldn't have done the other side of the customers out there who've
0: got ProCurve provision can now. There's a there's a potential upgrade path. I'm going to say potential because there's obviously limitations here, but they can get these Aruba OS features in their existing hardware. Yeah, 2920,
1: 2530, 3810, and 5400R switches. Hmm. If you have them in your network today, you just download the new operating system, Aruba OS, and that's it. And you just move on.
0: And there's a lot of those out there.
1: There's yeah. a lot of those out a there. A lot. And they love yeah. it. Yes. They love it, right? It's like, okay, so you're telling me that I don't have to swap my hardware, I can just install a new software, get all these new features, mm-hmm. integrate with the rest of the infrastructure, and they're, they're thrilled. You can start
0: to run yeah. ClearPass and do all the things that we talked yeah. about. And yeah, you've so got this IoT about that. stuff.
1: Yeah, so, so the you know, unification actually, and I think the reason that we were able to do this in nine months was because we focused on innovating with tools like Airwave and ClearPass rather than embedding those profiling features, security features, context-based policy features, clarity analysis features into the hardware, we ex- abstracted that. Mm. We put it in those existing software platforms, which are already multi-vendor. Wow. So the hardware platforms just basically do what they're supposed to do, connect, and then the rest of protecting and managing mm. happens happens outside. Well, it also is,
0: helps that the Procurve team is very uh, A, close to where you are They're in America. Yes and that they've also got like 20 years of developing that product behind yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's Absolutely. not like it's, we assembled a team and in nine <laughs> months made a brand new product yeah. and we shoved it out the door. We sprinkled holy water on it and yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> we'll get fixing those problems just as soon yeah. as we've got it you know, yeah. yeah, don't buy it now and we'll fix it in the next two yeah. or three yeah. years. Yeah, it sh- it'll work good soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah real good now. That's all. Awesome. So I just wanted to point that, yeah. you know, I thought that was a good... Um, I was pleased to hear that the Procurve stuff is you know, the, the way forward, but I hadn't thought about the aspect of if I've got that technology, it's now ready for this. Yes, this, absolutely. This integration, which is absolutely. I, I imagine that you've got salespeople out there knocking on doors. It is. It <laughs>
1: makes the conversation very easy if you just make a hard choice within the company and say this mm. is the go-forward platform and mm. let's move on. Mm. We just have seen, you know, vendors out there who haven't been able to make that choice and I think it's paying it's, to their it's disadvantage. It's very confusing to so.
0: have dozens of product lines actively sold. It's one thing to say, you know, this is, you know, we're still supporting it, we still have it, we're going to support our existing customers, but you know, this is our go forward strategy yep. here. And yep. it's another one to say, yes, we've got all these coffins here. Yes, when we still sell them, you know? <laughs> and uh, you got to change them. like you got to
1: just like a retailer, you got to dress up the window nicely and easy to understand and people can so that people can would want to have a conversation with you. So
0: Okay, so I think we're just about reaching the end point we've been talking sort of for about an hour now. What's next for Aruba? Where are you going to go from here? We've talked a lot about what we can do today, where you've come from, some of the tough decisions you've made. Where's the future going to come in?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think we're going to continue the innovation path around IT networking teams have to implement cutting edge technologies because they're being challenged by different business operations, whether it's marketing, cybersecurity teams, corporate real estate, and they're being challenged to move faster than ever before because many of the technologies that we use today with cloud, mobile, they're relatively simple to use, simple to deploy technologies And they're being asked to move even faster. So I think our innovation topic is going to be, hey, can I give lots of insights similar to Clarity to IT guys so they can start running faster, maybe even fixing problems before they show up? And then also give folks enough technologies that makes it easier for users to interact with the network, to secure, to onboard, to connect into the infrastructure so they can... Bring their own device or things. Mm. So I think Kirti will probably talk a little bit more about in the podcast recording that you guys are going to do with him yeah, on we, um, on the innovation and the roadmap pieces. And I highly recommend everybody listening to the show definitely, uh, definitely.
0: You know, I've been banging on about telemetry and analytics for a long time.
2: You have, yeah. It's one of the unicorns you get up and ride around. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of my favorite <laughs> unicorns to get up and ride around. Her. There's a lot of
0: that in here. So a lot of yeah. what we saw announced here is, like, you know, we talked about this end-to-end visibility for users, this and the, doing the synthetic testing by getting the access point to run those scheduled tests and then inspection. That's actually what I've been thinking about in that category.
2: And It's not, it's not about the data as much as what you do with that data. Yeah, that's yeah. right.
0: Well, the data's the first thing. How do you get the data? Yeah. Well, yeah. Right, which is the first problem. You know, we couldn't do SNMP monitoring before we had the SNMP protocol, Right. So until you've got the data, now you've got the data, and then what Aruba's done here is actually taken the telemetry and then turned it into something useful. Oh, look, the DNS is down, so the Wi-Fi must be broken. That's Uh, a really simple interpretation of... (laughs) Of uh, what's actually
2: going on. Yeah, that's right. So,
0: you know, when the call comes into the help desk, Wi-Fi broken, you can actually have a... Instead of having a red light, green light on the Wi-Fi... Yeah. And you
2: go, no, it's not. You yeah. can actually do something with it. Well, Oza, thanks for coming on the show today. Absolutely. I, I mean, Are you social? Do you tweet? Do you blog? How can people follow you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you guys can find me at OzerWi-Fi on Twitter. I like to try out a variety of social networks on a regular basis, but I think Twitter is the primary use case. The website is urbanetworks.com, clearly. And uh, we also have lots of interesting conversations among our community, you might have heard through the grapevine or by following us that our Airheads community reached 41,000 members uh, as of last month, hmm. which is a thousand times growth compared to where it was ten years ago. <laughs> which is, the group
2: here at Atmosphere is, is representative of what the Airheads community is all about it seems like a bunch of nerdy folks that are way into wireless. So yeah. That's, <laughs> that's just my impression, this yeah, being my there's, first There's a lot show. of them
1: out there, and it's global. So we love to interact with them at community.urbanetworks.com. So if you have a chance... Come and take a look at the conversation. It's not a, it's a website that requires a login. You can look at the conversations openly. And if you're going to log in, create an account and start interacting, we would love to have you there.
0: Well, that's it. For this priority queue for this week. And we thank Aruba, our sponsor, for uh, taking the opportunity to work with. Thanks for Oza for joining us. We've recorded a total of four shows with Aruba at this conference at Atmosphere 2016. So if you like what you're hearing, you want to hear some more, get over to thepackerpushes.net and check out those shows as well because it'll fill in the information. There's some overlap. Not a lot, but some overlap between a couple of these shows and it might flush out the picture if it wasn't entirely clear to you. You can, of course, listen to this and many more fine technical podcasts for IT engineers at packetpushes.net. Please tell your friends about the show and uh, don't hesitate to check out our website. We've got a bunch of newsletters and a bunch of other podcasts which will be interesting to you. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.